We met some of the others at the square. Simon had stayed up late in the hall so that he could scalp the keys to the storage and get the ladders tall enough for our mission. He and Adeline would hold them while Vincent and I painted the signs. We would also have Fiona and Jasper acting as lookouts at either end with walkie-talkies in case they needed to alert us of anything or anyone while we were not able to see. least so because our periphery would not allow it. And while we were under the cover of darkness, although we were somewhat covered, so was anybody else. We couldn't be too careful. Thank you for helping us out, Vincent said as he shook everyone's hands. Fiona and Adeline were clutching thermos flasks full of coffee. No, thank you two for doing this. You're much braver than I am, Simon replied. I couldn't be the one to get up that ladder, even if you paid me. We looked up from our spot on the ground to the great hall, our canvas. The titanic slogan stared us in the face, daring us to make our move. Words are facts. Function is effective. Art was useless. How wrong they were, and we were going to prove it. With a deep breath, we steeled ourselves and pressed on against the clock. We set up as quietly and as quickly as we could, scurrying around with an unrivaled fervour. We were all nervous, but excited, and because of it, the air around us felt electric. I could feel my heart racing in my chest as I climbed up the ladder, clutching the rung so hard my knuckles were white up the wall that we were about to vandalise, or improve, depending on how you looked at it. And it would not stop beating out every single frantic second. It was peaceful up here. From this height, I could see the way the road stretched out into the distance. Just a few weeks ago, my brother had been marching down this very street for his parade. Little did I know, even then, just how much everything would change that day, and how I would never be able to go back to the way things were before. Up here, the size of the task and the weight of its importance, and the importance of these people who made it became tangible, descending onto my shoulders. Not so suddenly... But all the same, I felt incredibly honoured to be a part of the team. Vincent and Di taped up the stencils onto the wall, combined into a diligent mechanism of arms and hands, elegantly synchronised. Up close it was difficult to see the picture, or how it was coming together. But whenever we looked down, past the vertigo, the company gave us encouraging smiles and thumbs up, and soon enough we were ready to paint. Vincent's smile glowed in the darkness. Three, two, one. He counted down as we pulled cans of spray paint from our apron pockets. Go, I replied, pressing the nozzle before I could stop myself, and we started spraying colour all over the stone grey wall. It was exhilarating and terrifying at once, and we smiled as we worked moving up and down and left and right, covering each piece. So how did you get into all of this? I asked as we moved on to the next portion. Vincent slashed a great line through the words. He laughed gently. You mean right now? Or with the graffiti? He asked in return. I shrugged. Both? Okay, well, I work 
as a decorator for my day job, painting the outside of houses. It sounds fun, but it's very dull. One day, when I was still an apprentice years ago, I was stripping a layer off this one wall and underneath was this colourful pattern. I think they call it a tag. I didn't know what it was, so I tried to look it up, but the only thing I found was this academic article about political slogans in the walls at Pompeii. They called it graffiti. So I remembered it, and eventually I asked Carmen about it, and she explained it to me, and she showed me how to make it. And from there I just kind of picked it up. I got into all of this, obviously, because of Carmen, my aunt, She cared so deeply about it and she made me care for it too. And over time I found myself feeling really bored in the evenings and I found myself repeatedly thinking about how much better life would be if there were other outlets in the world like cinemas and art galleries and museums like the one Carmen used to curate. She told me about all of these, of course. So one day I overheard her having a conversation about her protest with my dad, her brother, He was normally this very practical person and they had a whole argument about it. And I was so taken by her passion, I just asked if I could join. I thought of my own parents, about how Vincent and I were similar in age, but had different perspectives, and how my parents had not told me about these things. I understood their reasons, but I couldn't help but think about how different things could have been. I wish I got told about it all, I said. I didn't even know that art existed. Well, the fact that you're here now means everything. More than not knowing before. And we're all really glad you're here. It gives us hope. Thanks. We finished the painting only a little while longer, working hard and efficiently so that we could all get out of there as fast as we could. As soon as the last drop of paint touched the wall, we tore down all of our stencils so that we could leave nothing behind but our creation. We all helped to pack away the things into the car and helped to get the ladders back into the hall, somehow, without managing to be seen. The only way anyone would ever know we were here is when they marvelled at our work. We had left our mark and stepped back as a group to admire it. Wow. Fiona sighed. Well, we'll see you all bright and early in the morning. Now, go and get some rest, Vincent replied. It's going to be interesting, to say the least. I had barely slept that night, and when the alarm woke me up at six, I was somehow both exhausted and exhilarated. I dressed exclusively in white clothes per request, and made my way over to the square. Whatever we had marvelled at in the night was only more amazing in the light of day, as the strong reds and vibrant yellows dazzled in the sun next to the striking black lined and green floral motifs. The slogan of the Reform Act was slashed and rewritten. Art is useful. And although I had not seen it before, and I had made it with my own two hands, I could not help but sigh in wonder. Already, some early commuters had seen and were pointing up and talking to their friends while I made my way over to the group. In the centre of the square, Carmen was helping to set up the speakers that were going to blast music through the wide expanse of concrete, while others placed buckets of powder paint along the floor, ready for us to grasp and throw in ceremony. 
Everyone was buzzing and the group was large, many of whom I had never seen before. What's all this? I asked when I got close enough. They were dancers and musicians and other volunteers that Carmen had found and invited to join. There were dozens, if not nearly a hundred, all here to help advocate for their craft and ours, all ready to make a scene. When the clock struck eight, the music started, for the commuters and the public to see. As of now, the government workers should be making their way to work, to witness the grand spectacle before them. As of this moment, we could not control what would happen, but we had to do our best no matter what. They're going to be talking about it for weeks. Adeline called jovially as music played and we began to dance, slowly sprinkling the pigments that confetti into the air for it to rain down on us all. The square had burst with colour for it to rain down on us. It splattered on our clothes and our skin, dotting every inch. As we danced and sang all over the square, people gathered all around the periphery to spectate, or to join, or to ask us questions which only spurred us on further. Council members walked past, trying their best not to pay us attention. Some were angry, and some looked like they wanted to encourage it, straining between their beliefs and the law they had to upkeep. Almost an hour later, there were news crews with microphones and cameras, taking pictures and interviews that would be shared throughout the city, and maybe, hopefully, the country. Soon enough, our art would be seen by thousands, even when the cleaners came out not long after with their industrial tools and started to wash our mark off. But, even if they were effective, it should take them hours to complete. You can't get rid of us, Sofiso called. We'll come back. We'll just keep making more. And he threw powder into the sky. It was almost sad to see it slowly get destroyed by the powerful jets of water. Here came the end to all of our work. But this was what we wanted. And as the crowd booed the cleaners and watched in curiosity, the more we saw our message getting across. Soon... Our art will be gone, destroyed by the same people who tore it all to scraps over 20 years ago. But we, the creators, weren't going anywhere. Even when we are removed, our memory will live on the minds of the people, hopefully sparking inspiration until it catches and the city burns with our same creative passion. Every once in a while we would break for food and water, and in the intermission there were speeches and talks about what art meant to us. We would take it in turns to discuss our stories and inspirations, hoping that our words were being heard not falling on deaf ears. Everything we were doing depended on whether or not the council and the spectators wanted to listen to what we had to say. We couldn't force them to, but we could try. We had to. In the afternoon, we were dancing once again, the grey slabs of paving now awash with blue, yellow and pink. We were just discovered, each person now almost indistinguishable between themselves, each other and the floor, a united mass of colour moving to the beat. A brave councilman dared to emerge from the building. He stood in the cover of the portico at the top of the steps wearing a square black suit.
He moved to come towards us, but did not step out onto the painted stones for fear of ruining his shiny shoes. Who's in charge here? He bellowed out across the noise. He almost went unheard, but not quite. The whole square hushed. The musicians stopped playing and our spectators watched in wonder. That would be me, Carmen said calmly as she crossed the gap between them. Just what sort of stunt do you think you're pulling? We're protesting. Do you like it? She said. She raised her arms to us and we clapped and cheered her on. By defacing a valuable public building. The cleaner's jets continued in the background. At this point, half of our mural was gone. Exactly. If it's public, then it's ours too. Do you not understand the heritage of this building? Yes, we do, sir. Do you? Or do you even care? Why are you here? Because we've had enough of you and your government harking on to us about our heritage and values while you plunder our museums and galleries for your own gain. We've had enough of being squashed and ignored, shoved into dark corners and basements. We're fed up of our arts and heritage being erased, and we want to show you just how useless you think we are. Listen to us. You might learn something. I offer you a choice, the man said, stoic-faced, but seething underneath. Either you can all pack up and leave now, or we will call the police and report you for disturbing the peace, and they can deal with you. It's your choice. Then call them, Carmen snapped. We're not going anywhere. The man, now red in the face, the only colour about him, turned and stormed away back into the hall. We applauded our minuscule victory as Carmen returned to us. I doubt that man is bluffing, she said. I don't think we have very long before the police come. Let's make every second of the next few hours count. Over the next few hours, we only grew louder and fiercer as the impending descent of the police grew upon us. The afternoon fell away to evening, and the graffiti had faded even more. The sun was setting, and the sky was flushed with angry, passionate, ominous red clouds that hung over our heads. We were all exhausted after such long hours of celebrating, but we were all determined. If we were going to go out, then we were going to go out with a bang. The police did indeed come, accompanied by a troop of armoured forces dressed in their khaki uniforms and shields and riot gear. Just what had they been told? Some of the troops also had trainee stripes on their arms, and they stood more nervously than the rest. Perhaps this was their first real instance. The commander came forward, a large man, intimidating. He resolved not to let him intimidate me. Who's leading this group? I am, Carmen said again. The commander stepped up close to her. She was much smaller and kinder, but she stood proudly made of metal and stone like a valiant statue. Do you have permits? he asked. Why do you ask? We've received a call from the council about a group of rioters. Said that they were growing violent. Carmen scoffed. (laughs) 
No, we don't have permits. I didn't realise we needed permits to occupy a space. Ma'am, I have no choice but to arrest you. He reached out a muscular arm and forcefully grabbed Carmen by the wrist. She glared at him, astonished. Get off her, Sofiso warned. Sir, she's a criminal. All of you are. I'm just doing my job. And so are we, Carmen shouted. The police officer pulled on her and she yelped in pain. Jasper jumped into the protector and pushed the police officer away. The act distracted him enough to let Carmen go and she rubbed her wrist upon her release. But all Jasper had done is made the man angrier. Did you just assault a police officer? He asked, enraged. If you crowd become violent, then we'll have no choice but to retaliate with force. It's best if you surrender quietly. We will never surrender. Forget about doing it quietly, too. He pushed the officer again. The commander barked orders at his batch of armed guards. Take them away. He made a move towards Carmen again in an attempt to pacify the leader, which made Jasper react by swinging a fist at the officer's face. The troops surged forward to try and grasp at us, but everyone moved. It seemed that we weren't going anywhere without putting up a fight. In an instant, the scene turned into a calamity as we matched bludgeons with picket posts, trying not to let a single hand seize us so that we could get out. It was a cacophony of punches and screams, and the crowds who were here to watch us dispersed, not wanting to get caught in any of the crossfire, though some watched from their crowds and their balconies, curious about the event. Around me, I could see that Fiona had been captured and was being dragged through the square, calling out for her sister. A guard in trainee stripes flanked into my right and tried to catch me while I was momentarily distracted. I turned to face them, ready to fight myself, and I had almost buckled when I met their eyes. Beneath the daunting helmet was my brother. His blue eyes were black from exhaustion and focus. What had they done to him to make his face so hard? For a beat of a moment, I didn't think he saw me. But then when I looked at him, he too softened from the recognition. For a moment we stood together in the crowd, not saying a word. But I could see that he wanted to ask how I had got there. We dared each other without words to go first, wanting to forgive each other. He had both arms clutching me by my shoulders, and after a blink of an eye, he squeezed. I feared he had chosen to drag me away. Run, Elam, he whispered through his helmet. I could barely hear him. What? Run! And with his hands, he turned me around and pushed me out of the crowd so that I stumbled, tied and bedraggled onto the road. I faltered for a moment, trying to quickly process a scene in front of me. My brother... Here. Vincent caught my eye and he was being pulled down the stairs of the council hall towards the police van. Go! he screamed and the sound broke me from my stupor. So I did. I ran as fast as I could muster down the road into Lace Market and away into the night. I knew I had to be fast. All Jason had done was buy me time, maybe even only a few seconds until they caught up to me. I had to try and disappear.